0: The Devil and Caleb Black is an original audio production written, edited, performed by me, Dave Bledsoe, the host of What the Hell Were You Thinking? It's produced by Gavin St. James. All the names used are fictional, or when they are real, they are used for the purposes of fiction. My papa's real name was Willie. The locations mentioned are all real places taken from the mountains my grandparents lived in in Polk County, Tennessee and the surrounding area. This podcast is performed without the usual profanity because my papa never approved of that kind of language except when he accidentally let one slip. We hope you enjoy. My papa used to tell me that if you found one man that spoke well about Caleb Black, he'd be lying cause he owed him money. Because People were afraid of Caleb. It wasn't because he was as big as the side of the mountain or that he was a mean drunk or how when Caleb Black got drunk he liked to start a fight with you or that he, that he lied with every word he said. And it wasn't that some people said that Caleb had beat his wife to death one night when he was drunk. Nobody ever said that where Caleb Black could hear him. All of those things are true, but there was a lot of men in the mountains those days you could say the same of. No, sir. People were afraid of Caleb Black because that man had done a deal with the devil. The story that my papa told me he said had come from Caleb himself because when Caleb was deep in his whiskey, he loved to talk. And no one with any sense was going to tell Caleb to shut up. And he would almost brag about the story in the early years, but oh, but as the years went by, his tone would change. And the story as it was told in the hollers of eastern Tennessee that old Caleb Black had gone deep back in the mountains looking for a place hot as moonshine still where no one would ever find him. The revenue men had come thick down the hollers chasing a lingo moonshine, and not even the sheriff could keep him out anymore. So old Caleb who was a bootlegger five generations deep, decided his still would be so far back and beyond no one would ever find it. And then Caleb would tell the revenue men where everyone else's stills were so he could have the only white lightning in that quarter of the state. So it was in the late fall of 1926 that Caleb took an old mule named Ashes, loaded it down with his pot and his coils, his corn and sugar and yeast, and began winding his way back and beyond his Towie Mountain working his way up Coker Creek ain't many folks back there today, but in 1926, it was all empty hollers. And some of them were so deep the light of the sun, don't even make it down to the bottom of them. There were places so far back that maybe nobody had walked there since the last days of the Cherokee before Andy Jackson had turned them off their lands. But Caleb was a man of the mountains. He knew the ways in, the ways out. He knew the places and how to follow the branches that led to the creek as they grew smaller and smaller, until he could finally come up to the little springs that bubble out of the rock on the mountain. And the smaller the branch, Caleb believed, the deeper the holler, and he wanted the deepest, darkest holler he could find. Somewhere way out past Coker Creek, north of Buck Ball, maybe as far out as the North Carolina line, not that that meant anything when you were so deep in the mountains. And he hit up on this branch that led back between two steep saddles rising up east and west. And that led to a narrow little holler, maybe two, three miles long. And in this holler, he found a cold water spring running clear from a cleft in the stone. And that is where he tied up his old mule ashes and set to putting together his still. And as the darkness deepened, it got dark early in that holler. He built himself a good fire fished himself a jug of his finest corn out of his bags and proceeded to get himself nice and mellow because he felt real good about this place. Yeah, it was a long haul in and out, but he was sure no revenue man or anyone else would ever find him or his still so far from anything or anyone. Which is why what happened next comes such a rude surprise because sometime on towards midnight, he woke up with a fearful need to take himself a piss. So he got up, staggered off a little ways to get out the watershed, did his deed, and turned back to the fire to find an old fella sitting on a stump right there at the edge of his firelight. Now this old geezer was wearing him some grubby denim overalls, beat-up leather boots, a thick flannel shirt, and a greasy red hat perched well back on his head. And he grinned up at Caleb Black as Caleb let out a shout. There wasn't fear, because Caleb wasn't afraid of anything, but it was more like, surprise... That's what it was. Now, even an honest man, which Caleb Black never was, carries himself a gun when he goes walking through the mountains. He's got bears and mountain lions and, well, tales of darker things that live up in the wild places. So he always had a gun with him. It's probably because he was drank so much out of that jug of shine that he didn't notice until he reached for it that his gun wasn't on his hip. It's lying in plain sight on the bedroll, not but an arm's reach from the old man on his stump. Caleb probably figured he fell out in his sleep, so. He reached down for the big-bladed hunting knife he kept real sheathed in his right boot, only to find that, too, was gone. Fact of it was, that old man was using his hunting knife to clean out the grime from underneath his fingernails. Then he looked at Caleb with what my papa would call a big old shit-eater if my granny wasn't nearby and says, Are you looking for this, boy? Holding up Caleb's knife. Now, Caleb Black, braggart, thief, most likely a murderer, but he wasn't a coward. Everyone knew that. So he drew himself up to get ready for a fight, and this old man wanted to do it that way, then Caleb was passing sure he could handle him. What are you on, old man? What the hell are you doing at my fire in the middle of the night? The fellow smiled at him, tossed the knife point down in the dirt between his feet, and said, oh, come out now, boy. You know who I am. You've been doing for me for most of your life, and you, you even liked it. I ain't never laid eyes on you before, and I sure as hell never done no work for you. Now I'm going to ask you just once more. Who are you and what the hell are you doing here? The old man stood up. He was tall, lean. His clothes hung on him like a scarecrow, but he didn't seem the least bit worried about the big man about to set on him. He said, Oh, come on now, boy. You know me. You know the kind of work you did. That bit with them Duffy cousins down in Etowah. Or how about old Elvin Cooley on Owl Creek? You took care of that Cherokee boy he was having troubles with for him. <laughs> <laughs> and let's not forget Melly. Now Melly was the name of Caleb's now late wife. And the old man gave him a big toothless grin and said, "You did all that for me, and you did so much more. And I'm real pleased with it. That's why I come up here to find you, make you an offer for a full-time position." Now Caleb knew full well what the old man was talking about but he couldn't for the life of him figure out how the old man knew all those things because they weren't the kind of thing you would talk about unless it was years later and you had done so many worse things and gotten clean away with it you weren't afraid of him anymore but on that night you got a funny feeling in the pit of his stomach that in another man some might call fear but in caleb black it was something more like uh, concern this wasn't anyone that he had run with or run with any other rougher crowd in East Tennessee because they all knew each other, or at least of each other. And the same went for folks over in North Carolina and North Georgia as well. And the old man looked old enough to have maybe run with Caleb's daddy, dead now for 20 years at the end of a shotgun in the hands of a Chattanooga sheriff. But he didn't think so. So Caleb looked hard at this old man, and he whispered, What is your name? Oh, I've been known by a fair number of them. Back when this was Cherokee land, they called me Chikalu. And then when the first white folks crossed the mountain, some of them called me I <laughs> Always been kind of fond of that one. Now these days, I, I just, I reckon I'm going by Nick Scratch. It's kind of a play on words, you know, Nicks and Scratches. <laughs> you can just call me Nick. And he held out a long, bony arm to shake hands, and without thinking, Caleb took it and shook it. Sit on down, boy, he said. Well, got some stuff to talk over. Now, like I said, Caleb Black, no coward, but he wasn't no stupid man either. He had a fair good idea who the old man was telling him he was because he'd done his church when he was little for all the good had done him. And he's a man of the mountains, and he knew sure as anything that dark things roamed the mountains that were a danger to men. He just never reckoned he would meet one in a deep holler in the middle of the night. And another man, even a brave man or a bad man such as himself, Probably would have run off and hide and wait for the sunrise, such as it was, but he had never been one to run away from anything, and he wasn't about to start now. So if old Scratch was here for him tonight, well, he'd make sure he didn't go down easy. "'What is it you're offering me, old man?' he said, sitting down in his blankets. "'Well, first I'm going to take a pull off your jug there, if you don't mind,' Nick pointed towards the shine, sitting nearby. And after he took himself a long pull, he wiped his lips and said, "'Long and short of it, I want your soul.'" <laughs> there are men to say you've already got it, boy. <laughs> yeah, that might be true. But I want every little bit of it. I want it all nice and sewn up. So you can't be turning to religion in some fit of fear or something right up before the end. You'd be surprised how many men like you who had done nothing but wrong all their life managed to find religion right before the end and get away with it. No, sir. I want your soul. I want it nice and legal, and I want it with the old rights observed and the bonds unbreakable. Caleb pursed his lips, nodded, reached out for his jug, took himself a long draw before asking, well, what you going to give me for it? You get 23 years. I don't seem that much, Caleb said, taking another pull for his jug. Oh, but they going to be good years, boy. Healthy, wealthy, powerful. You could own this little corner of the world, and ain't no one going to touch you. The folks around here are afraid of you now, but they will live in terror of you for all them years. You'll have money, women, and the law will pretend you don't even exist. unless they need something from you. Your plan to run shine out of this little holler will seem as tiny and pointless as it is compared to the gifts I will give you. If you want to walk in the halls of power and play at politics, you will. You want to run in the shadows and have all the bad men bowing down to you? You will. I'll give you this. and So much more for 23 good years. Caleb sat and thought for a long, long minute before he answered. Now, I still don't see what you get out of it. Besides my soul, I mean, which you's probably going to get anyways. Why are you making this offer? Or, or why are you making me this offer? He asked. Nick gave him that grin again, no teeth, all black mouth, and said, because you're the kind of man who would ask a question like that. Yeah, I'm going to give you jobs from time to time. Things to be done, people to be done for, but nothing you ain't already done already, and I don't imagine it'll trouble you much to do it again. I got business in this part of the world right now, and I need reliable people and places to make things work right for me, and I know you are those kind of people. Caleb stared hard at Nick, thinking hard before he spoke the next words. If I do this, and I ain't saying I am, what's catch? My granny would always say the devil don't do no deals without no catch. Ha <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always the catch, but it ain't a big un. You see, the catch is you get to spend all them years knowing that they come to an end. You're what, 27 now? And as them years go by, you're going to become obsessed with how few of them you got left. And the closer you get to 50, you're going to start to worry more and more about the costs. Nick spread his arms out, and his tone became as smooth as sunny now. But that ain't none of my doing, boy. That's all in your head, not mine. All you need to know is for most of them years, you won't even think about it. You're going to be so happy with what you got and all you can do, it won't bother you until the end when it comes time for me to get everything back and your soul. And like I said, Caleb Black not stupid. He knew the old man was double dealing him. But he was a young man. And a young man is anything but farsighted. And Caleb figured there was no promise that he would even live to see 50 years old in the first place. Well, with the life he was leading. And should he live that long, there was a better than fair chance he'd spend most of those years, if not all of them, behind bars. So what if he only had 23 years of all the things that young men like him dreamed of? At least he got those. So... That was when Caleb Black stuck out his big hand for Nick scratch and said, You got yourself a deal. Nick smiled this time, his lips thin and his eyes glittering in the fire, and lifted up the hunting knife between his feet and handed it to Caleb Black and said, You're going to need to open up a vein on it, boy. Just a little bit. Won't hardly hurt at all. And after the deal had been struck, the two sat up until dawn as Nick told Caleb what to do and how to do it. Just as the sky was starting to turn that pearly gray, letting you know that the sun was coming up in that part of the world, Nick Scratch stood up, dusted off his overalls, walked off into the deep shadows of the holler, and Caleb Black took Ashes the mule, walked out, leaving us still behind. Now, my papa used to say that if you could find it in that black holler way out past Coker Creek, that still is still there today, just as pristine as the day he set it up. The corn and the sugar and the yeast all just as fresh as the day it come off the shelf. And if someone could find it, they could make their own deal with Nick Scratch, just like Caleb Black did back on that night back in 26. You know, my papa always said, too, you could take a fool to even search it out because only a fool and an evil man could hold truck with a devil like that. But this ain't where our story is. I can tell you, friends, that old Nick was as good as his word, or at least as good as the word as the devil can be. Caleb Black came back from that holler within six months. Every bootlegger in the southeast corner of Tennessee, western North Carolina, and North Georgia was kicking money to him. Those who didn't found they just couldn't keep a still up. The revenue men would find it, or that old still would blow up for no reason at all, and a few of the harder men just went up the holler, and they didn't come back. By the time Prohibition ended in '33, Caleb Black was running speakeasers and roadhouses all over Men, and Monroe County, and by the time the war started in '41, they was from the Virginia line all the way down to Atlanta and from Charlotte all the way over to Nashville. And these are the kind of places respectable folk didn't go, but the soldiers that trained all across the South, well, they loved them. There were women for rent, gambling to relieve them of their paychecks, and if you were the sort of man that was looking for a more exotic diversion... Anything from heroin to children, well, you could find him at Caleb Black's establishment. And if the law noticed anything, well, he never did anything. And in a few years, Caleb was backslapping with politicians. Oh, he never held office; it wasn't his way. He was just a good old boy from nowhere. He far preferred to be the power behind the powerful. He had his fingers in Works Project Administration deals, and when the Tennessee Valley Authority began buying up all that land to turn electricity on across the Appalachians. You'd be surprised how much of that land they had to buy from Caleb Black, and he hadn't owned it till right before they wanted to buy it. When Eisenhower's and the highways needed to be built, Caleb Black was the one selling the right-of-ways and made sure there weren't no label problems for the government. He was owed favors from folks across the South, and when he asked for something, he got it. Everyone knew who and what Caleb Black was. It's just that nobody seemed to care. And through it all... Caleb would get jobs for his benefactor. He crisscrossed the South in its powder blue Cadillac, and where he went, not long after, maybe a church had burned or a lynching would follow. He made sure that red lines were drawn on maps to keep black folks from buying houses where they ought not, and when the white folks in Little Lock blocked the way into that school, well there was a powder blue Cadillac could be quietly seen pulling off just as the cameras start rolling. When the Battle of Athens took place in nineteen forty six, Caleb Black was whispering in ears on both sides, and he had made sure that everybody involved had plenty of guns and ammunition. When a powerful politician needed persuasion, be it by luring him into a compromising position or just seeing that they weren't there when the vote was called, you can be sure that Caleb Black and his beloved blue caddy had been nearby at the time. He sold drugs. He sold people. He arranged murders and murdered some with his own hands. He forced businesses to toe the line and pay their insurance. Through it all, he still ran the bootleg liquor trade for most of southern Appalachia. And when Italian gentlemen came calling from out of the north, well, they met with Caleb Black, and when they needed things taken care of down south in that part of the world, they paid him to see that they got done. If elections needed to go a certain way, or be they local or national, Caleb Black was the man you needed to see. He had his hand outstretched to shake, and that was palm grease for his little bit of help. And sometimes he'd be sent on jobs that made no sense to him. He'd just be told that sometimes someone needed to go. And that person had no power or influence at all. And Caleb Black had to see to it personally. There were always jobs like that. He'd be told that's what Nick wanted. And he would make sure that that happened. And for 20 years, Caleb Black was the happiest man in Southeast Tennessee. And it was right around this time that my papa knew him. Maybe he was 57, maybe he was 58. Because for all of his money and power, Caleb Black never left Polk County. He lived in a big house just east of Benton. And because he'd never left behind his roots as a moonshiners, all the local shiners would still come to his house personally and drop off payments to the big bands, just like they did back in 26, 27. Now, the amount of money was pitiful because by that time, illegal whiskey wasn't anywhere near the kind of income Caleb was seeing from all of his other jobs. He just, like, happened to come around and he'd make them sit and listen to him and talk about the good old days. And they'd do that if they knew what was good for them. And my papa, who wasn't really a moonshiner, I mean, he ran a little shine just to keep his kids fed, and a lot of folks did that at the time. Just a little side hustle to help out when times were lean. And they were always lean in the mountains. Well, sometimes he had to drop off that money there. He told me that more and more, when he went to Caleb's place to pay his dues, the man would already be drunk and rambling. He was always drunk and rambling. He just sat drinking raw moonshine from a mason jar pistol in his hand and would rave that it was all coming to an end and how the old man had put a hex on him that night. And one particular very bad afternoon, when papa had gone to leave just a little $20 with the boss, Caleb held that big old forty-five pistol he'd had with him that night. He first met Nick and ordered my papa to drink. My papa wasn't a drinker. He's a good Christian man. Now, yeah, he might have sampled for quality from time to time, but he was never one for being drunk. When you were staring down that big boar of 45, you took a drink when it was offered. Willie, Caleb slurred at him. You believe in the devil? My papa said truthfully, yeah, because he did believe in the devil. Willie, you believe the devil can still take a man's soul, even if he were to repent of all his sins? Now, my papa knew that Caleb Black was many things. A mean drunk would start a fight with you when he was drunk and he was always drunk and then he lied with every word he said and then he'd beat his wife to death one night and he was drunk. And he knew that Caleb Black had done terrible things and gotten away with them scot-free. And he even knew that Caleb Black had done a deal with the devil because Caleb Black had told a lot of people that story by now. But he was still real, real careful about what he answered. He said, he reckoned, You're truly sorry about what you did and you asked Jesus to forgive you. Well, you reckon that might work. Caleb Black looked at him, tears running down his eyes, and he put that pistol on the table and drained his mason jar full of moonshine and stared at him and said, Yeah, but what if you ain't sorry you's just real scared and passed out? My papa got up and left that house and he never went back again. In the fall of 1958, The United States government came for Caleb Black. Hoover's G-men came quiet like in the night and just ran up on his house outside of Hinton. And by the time they were done, Caleb Black was sitting in a jail cell in Atlanta. They had it all. They had his money, his property, his fancy political friends all turned his back on him. The federal government had took apart his little empire from the roots. I even came asking my papa about him. But he he kept quiet on that, like one does if they know what's good for him. 23 years, Caleb Black had all he had desired, just as promised. And as promised, he lived in fear the last few. And old Nick Scratch, right before the end, got it all back. And on top of all that, Caleb Black was in that jail cell, slowly dying of liver cancer, turning yellow. Just waiting for his time to run out. Now, this last part is just what my papa said he had heard. He didn't say it was true. Didn't say it wasn't. He just said that's what he'd heard. That in the late fall of 1959, a tall man in a baggy black suit showed up at the jailhouse in Atlanta where Caleb was waiting for his trial. And that man... Took Caleb out of there when he left. And they drove north to Tennessee, where they passed into the hills and up the mountains of Polk County, and that fancy black Cadillac along State Route thirty, then up over Towie Mountain, down some old logging roads that led back over towards Coker Creek. Tires crunching on gravel as it disappeared into the dark, them red tail lights of that big caddy staring back in the dark like well, you know, a beast disappearing into the night. And finally disappeared deep in the hollers where no one goes and no one knows even today. And that was how Caleb Black didn't stand trial in at Atlanta for all he had done. But he never come back home either. He was just gone. And all the folks decided not to talk about it. Not to talk about any of it ever again. Because everyone knew that Caleb Black had done a deal with the devil. But hey... That still's still up there if someone wanted to go look for it. It's copper coils running off into a barrel. The pot setting over a fire ready to be stoked. The yeast and sugar and corn just piled up like it just come off old ash. If you were to wander deep enough back in the hollers, you might find it. Light that fire beneath the boiler and settle down for the mash to come up. Just wait to see who might come out of the dark with a deal for you. your happy price, price line. Well, sir, that's it for this week's show and for Spooktacular 2022. This isn't the show I planned for this week. I'd planned for the past two months to talk about old Al Crowley, but, you know, I got no fight with a bunch of Satanists, and that was a whole thing. So I figured I didn't want the thelemites on my ass about facts and stuff like that. And then this story just come bubbling up my brain. Like a big old pot of sour mash on a white oak fire. and so I, so I reckon I wrote it down and I just told it to you. Should go without saying this is a work of fiction. My papa never told me a tale about anyone like Caleb Black. But I like to think he would have if I were a little bit older. So I hope you enjoyed this little tale. I don't do a lot of fiction. But I like to dabble from time to time. And I, I think it turned out pretty good. And that's where I'm going to leave it. And so for me, Dave, buy a hundred pound of yeast and some copper line because everybody knew he made Moonshine Bledsoe, producer. Now the revenue man wanted granddaddy bad, so he headed up the hollow with everything he had. Those, 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 are those words supposed to mean anything? Gavin! And all the fictional bootleggers on this show, we want to say, it's before my time, but I've been told he never came back from Copperhead Road or that holler up past Coker creek we'll see you all next week what the hell were you thinking stars dave bledsoe and features gavin st james and several fictional minions the show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast or on Facebook as whatthehellpodcast. Thanks for listening. I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow.